Nurmix here from the Intellivisionaries. When I get tired of living in the 80s, playing the first 16-bit console, the Intellivision, I warp over to the 90s and listen to the SNES podcast. Well, actually, I couldn't do that in the 90s because podcasts really weren't around. But hey, Soul Blazer's a great host, great show. I like to think of it as total SNES immersion. You might call it a SNES education. Wow, that flowed well. Awesome idea, Paul. Back to the show. Uh, hello, this is Greg. Uh, this is the episode number six of the Super NES podcast. Uh, I'm joined tonight by my usual co-host, uh, Chad. Hello. And tonight's episode, we're going to be covering our first RPG for this podcast, um, the more relatively obscure uh, RPG Arcana, released by Howe in 1992. So uh, before we get into gameplay discussion, uh, let's talk a little bit about like what's going on. And I'm recording this right now in a hotel room because of the blizzard that's in New England uh, like right now tonight. So um, if my sound quality is a little bit off than how it usually is, I apologize. Uh, I'm sure Chad will do his best to clean it up in the audacity as best as possible uh, when he gets to the editing part of this. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, it's not going to be a fun couple of days. That's all I can say. <laughs> Man, I do not envy any of you. I am in Arkansas. We haven't even got bad this winter. It'll probably happen around whenever everything starts to bloom because we have gone from 20 degrees to 70 degrees in the same day like all week. Well, we're used to snow here in New England, but we've had a pretty light winter so far. It's only snowed a few times and not very much like any of those occasions. So... 
for us to get a blizzard of this size for two feet is a little bit unusual like, even for us. Oh, man. So. See, our, our thing is, like, it'll start warming up around the last of January or the first of February or something like that. Like, the very first or last week of either one. And then all of a sudden, we'll get hit with, like, the rest of the three months, like, pure frost. And while everything is warm it, warming up, everything starts blooming and growing, and then the frost hits and kills everything. So it's kind of depressing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyway, um, since we are a new podcast, I particularly wanted to give a, a shout-out to another podcast that is going to start it, uh, which I listened to last week, and it looks like it's going to be off to an excellent start. Phil, the No Square Gamer, who you may know because of this excellent um uh, program that he does on YouTube, recently started up the 7800 Game by Game podcast. His first episode came out last week talking about the system, the background, the history, and has some stories and regulations from people who had the system back in the day. So it, the, the first episode is very impressive, very good quality. Uh, Phil seems like a natural for this. Uh, I highly encourage anybody out there to check it out. I do not know very much about the system, so it was very interesting to hear to listen to the podcast and figure out uh, and hear some more specs and information and background and background like about the podcast. Yes, I, I, I love him a lot. I've been listening to him uh, ever since he's been doing the YouTube videos, mm -hmm. and I have to—I have to say he would be a very good hand model. Like, <laughs> uh, so, 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 how about you, Chad? Is there any like new podcasts that you want to give a mention to, or, or podcasts you recently found that you uh, enjoy listening to? Man, I found this really great podcast. Well, a while back, it was kind of laid to rest, and then these really great guys picked it back up. With the uh, with the grit with the uh, blessing of Michael Kelso, one of the original hosts, and I don't really want to flatter these guys too much because they'll get big heads about it. But um, you know, <laughs> you know what show I'm talking about, Greg? Why don't you give us a name just for the rest of us, like we don't? All righty then, it's the Retro Thought Pod with the fantastic co-host Nick and that great Lord Chadwick. <laughs> well i have not heard the new ones yet but i'm very happy that you two have picked that podcast back up again because i think that was i think that i think that podcast the original forum was one of the very first podcasts a lot of us cut our teeth on oh absolutely it was the very first uh first episodes and then from then on until they retired it were just fantastic. Yeah, they were great. And then um, I also wanted to give uh, a great shout out to the uh, Toys R Us podcast. I'm a buddy. I see robots, and he is just absolutely great. He gives great informative information on certain toys that he's picked up during the week. Um, and then, true to fashion, just as we were kids. You would go see a movie and then go get a toy. So anyway, uh, during the podcast, you you get a you get some movie reviews along with the ride. So it's great. If you can, please go check him out. Toys R Us podcast. And all these podcasts are proud members of the Retro Junkies Network, just like we are. Uh, you can either find them on Facebook or just do a Google search for them. Absolutely. How, how was your week? We have this historic blizzard to deal with. We have our beloved Patriots in the Super Bowl this weekend. So, um, and, and, and we also have um, like a new governor trying to make a good impression of things, like not screw everything up. I will be glad when next week gets here. That's all I can say. Absolutely. 
So let's get to talking about the game for this week. We are covering our first RPG for this podcast. Um, the Super NES is definitely well known for its RPG selection. It definitely had a rich library of very good RPG games that came up came out for it uh, during its lifetime. Uh, the system was partly created by Nintendo in Japan as an eye toward being able to be a good platform for RPGs. That's why the processor's not as fast as Genesis and that's why the sound quality. Most people are familiar with the big RPGs that came out with the system. Final Fantasy IV, Final Fantasy VI, Earthbound, Chrono Trigger, uh, Super Mario RPG. But there's also a whole bunch of lesser-known RPGs that, 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 that came out with the console. Uh, Breath of Fire 1 and 2, Lufia 1 and 2, uh, Draken. Uh, there's Lagoon and um, Seven Saga and a few others. The game we're talking about tonight it definitely falls into that more obscure category. And the cheap pricing on eBay definitely reflects the fact that this game is not super popular. Um, but but it is one of Chad's favorite games. So it's like seemed very appropriate appropriate to make this our first RPG to talk about in the podcast. And we we're talking about uh, Arcana, which came out in Japan under the name of Cardmaster. I think I'm pronouncing this right. Uh, Rasamlia no Fuden. And it came out in North America in May of 1992. I do not believe it got a European release. So, like, so, like, so Europeaners out there who um, who have not heard of this game, that's why. Um, so this came out by HAL Laboratory. It was created by them, published by them. HAL is best known for being the Kirby franchise. But uh, this is a dungeon-crawling RPG, is the best way to describe it. It has several very unique aspects to try to make it stand out from the crowd, from other, from other, from other dungeon-crawling RPGs, such as the fact that the whole gist of the game is talking about a card master and with cards that are used. So the gimmick is that all everything in the game is represented by cards. The players are represented by cards, the monsters are represented by cards, and so on. And as cards get damaged, get uh, torn, that means the character's dead and whatnot. So they really take that metaphor very far in this game. And the, uh, the magical properties of, of those cards are also are also tied in hand by hand to the ability to game characters. So you, you definitely want to have some good cards as the game goes on. Another thing that makes this game very unique is that unlike many other RPGs, you do not have a really set party with you of characters. We're going to be talking about this later on, but the actual characters you have in the game is a very small pool. And again, like I just said, unlike many other RPGs, these guys and girls come and go on a regular basis. You may have one person in your party in one chapter, and then they leave for a chapter, like they come back for another chapter. So, so don't get too attached to anybody in this game because they aren't staying around with you th- uh, that long. So, uh, Chad, as I mentioned, this is one of your favorite RPGs. Can you tell us why? Actually, I discovered this game about six years ago. It was actually in the common area, and I really didn't know what it was. The label looked pretty cool. It's actually a, it's actually a lady standing over a crystal ball, and it says Arcana over it, and like these really, and like this really cool font. You weren't quite sure what to make of it off of that label because I was so certain it was probably like a really cool side scroller or something like that. I, I kind of make it a habit of whenever I go to make a game run that I pick up at least three or four titles that I had never heard of. Just because like you were a kid and you didn't quite know what the titles were and you pop it in and you weren't sure what you were going to get until the title screen came up and you pushed that start button and the game was good to go. I really try to do that as much as I can just so I can discover new games. I got it home and I popped it in and all of a sudden it was pretty evident that this wasn't the case. 
Um, <laughs> all of a sudden, these cards pop up, and I'm like, oh, no, it's freaking taboo for the <laughs> NES. <laughs> I was so disappointed. I was like, oh, man. So anyway... I was like, well, whatever, whatever. So this could be entertaining. I played through it, and the next thing I know, I'm completely engrossed in the gameplay. It's an RPG, yeah, but then it's a first-person dungeon crawler. Your characters are represented by cards. And then, at the same time, you have to go from shop to shop. You can buy, like, different equipment and weapons and stuff like that just as you would if it were lufia or if it were any of the square games it's a very cool take on the rpg this game has a lot of mixed reviews i think it kind of takes people by surprise whenever you turn on the game you're like oh man you kind of have to give it about 10 15 minutes to get through it and all of a sudden you're in your first dungeon and it just completely grabs you because it's first person and you have to search every single nook and cranny. The cards are represented, but there is a certain amount of animation to each card. It's sort of Pokemon-like. You're represented by like elementals and then you have uh, your different companions that come and go. Uh, you have your magic, your uh, your elemental is sort of your Final Fantasy stuff. It's very cool in that in that kind of thing. And you can kind of see where they got all that from. It really grabbed me in the dungeon area. At first, I was just kind of humoring it. And I, I do try to give games a certain amount of time before I'm just like, oh, well, this is bullcrap and turn it off. And um, I usually give them about 20 to 30 minutes. And if they haven't grabbed me within the 20, 30 minutes, I'm gone. I, I can't I can't get into it. I'm done. By then, you know, you've got a you've got a bit of a grasp of the attack and you've got a bit of a, a, a grasp of the battle system and your item system and everything. And it wasn't very hard getting into any of that. It it, it really got intuitive and it stuck with me from then on. It's kind of like I remember when I got it and I was messaging my buddy and I was like, why have I never heard of this game? Please tell me why I've never heard of this game. It seemed when, when, I, when I started playing it and I played it for about three or four hours in one sitting, all of a sudden I was like, why was this not on the wall with the rest of them? Because it seemed like it should have been up there with Corona Trigger and, and the rest of it to me. Yeah, that's a very good summary. I agree with a lot, just like what you said. Uh, this is a game I did play back in the day. Uh, when it was new, uh, it was a rental. Uh, I found it to be very challenging. It's a very difficult game uh, for reasons that we're going to talk about as we go on. But if you're willing to put in the time and the effort to get over that difficulty hump, uh, it's a very, very fun, very unique RPG, I thought. I, I wasn't able to beat it back then. But I played the game again about hmm, four years ago, I want to say, through emulation, and it's much easier if safe state. That's all I can say. <laughs> um, this was a real you-know-what to hack through. Uh, 
uh, on the actual hardware without any help or anything else like that. So I like the game. Chad loves the game. We're going to talk about why you should give this game a look and try to, like, know. Assuming that you don't know too much about the game, we're going to talk about the game in depth to allow you to be able to make an educated decision on your own if you to how we decide if this is a game like worth checking out or not. Let's talk a little bit about the plot of this, uh, the plot of the RPG to start with, because any good RPG where it's all got to have a story, and there is a story in the game, but the plot that they have of the game in the manual is the best summary you're going to find because there's not too much plot during the game itself. No, uh, it's not. There are plot twists. For example, there's a very, there's a very nice uh, and nasty plot twist right toward the end of the first chapter uh, that can leave you in a world of hurt. So while there is some story, uh, there's some story and some expanding of that in the game, being dungeon crawler, it's on the minimal side. It does not have the rich story that Final Fantasy IV has, for example, which came out even before this one did. So, um, but there is a good summary of the game, and there's a good plot set up for you, for, for you, like in the manual. And it's not that long. Um, so, Chad, why don't you do us the honor of just reading this, say, a plot, uh, like in the manual that they have, that, that they have to, to set the background and tell us about the main character. The ancient land of Elamin was rife with chaos under the tyranny of the evil Empress Rimsala. A group of powerful wizards called the Cardmasters combined their abilities to defeat Rimsala and seal her away. But her legacy would not be forgotten. A political unrest in the kingdoms of Elamin turned into a bloody civil war. As armies slaughtered each other on the battlefields, the Cardmasters were persecuted and hunted down by the minions of Galanian the former court magician of Wagnall, king of Lexford. Gaunian was the man who launched the original coup that began the war, but his motives were much more sinister than bloodshed. He sought the unsealing and resurrection of Ramsala to unleash her ancient evil upon Elamin again, almost like a certain other game we covered. (laughs) In the conflict, King Wagnall's two daughters disappeared. It was also the last battle for the Knights of Lexford, a trio of brave fighters sworn to Wagnall, which dissolved as the war drew to a close. Gaunian assumed power and stretched forth his oppressive authority across Element, eliminating every cardmaster found so that the revival of Rimsala could succeed without interference. Ten years have passed since these events. The young protagonist, Rooks, is the son of the last cardmaster to perish during Element's civil war, who was also one of the Knights of Lexford. The death of his father motivated Rooks to begin learning the art of the cards in earnest, but in a decade, his minimal training has barely scratched the surface when word comes to his home village of Gallia. Mysterious events are occurring all over the land, heralding a cataclysm. Rooks' path lies before him as he sets off to prevent the awakening of Rimsala, but can he fulfill his destiny as a last card master before it is too late? So, as you can tell from that, it's your kind of basic, like, you know, uh, descendant of a great hero, like, you know, destined hero to save the world, blah, blah, blah. You, you know, typical RPG stuff. And during the game, like, you play the role of Rooks, the main character, and uh, there are five stages in the game set up as chapters. You can have a party of four in, uh, during the game. You have Rooks, you have two guest members, and you also have uh, Rooks' elemental spirit, which we'll talk about here like a little bit. 
most of the game takes place in the perspective of this like first person dungeon uh, that we mentioned about earlier. First time I saw it, it reminded me a lot of a fantasy star for the Master System, uh, the, 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 how the gravity was set up uh, with that wireframe dungeons uh, that you walk through and everything else like that. Uh, and, and between breaks in the dungeons, you also you also get to visit towns where you can like uh, do your typical RPG town stuff: uh, buy weapons, buy armor, uh, buy items, heal up, that kind of stuff. Like to so go through the game, the game throws you into the action pretty quickly. There's not there's no general learning curve. You're like, you're thrown off immediately if like, I find your first dungeon. We have to quickly get, get used to handling your party. Monsters can attack any time. It's random battles, um, and the monsters, like I said, are affected by reflected by cards is going to be small parties big parties you can have anywhere from like one to i believe nine is the limit of enemies that can attack you like at any like one time proper use of your resources and proper use of the other map your magic is critical and rooks also is very critical to keep alive because he's the only person who can do certain things uh such as like resurrecting other people uh and then finding their spirits so um like we were saying, the, the, the game's difficulty is very daunting at first, but if you stick with it and, and manage your party and be able to get past the difficulty, the game does not put its best foot forward, I, I don't think, as far as that first dungeon, because it's very confusing, it's very difficult, and it really can take some time to just get used to everything. So that um, first dungeon, the, that thing is sprawling. Like I said, you have to search every nook and cranny. I don't remember if the chests are visible or not. I think you have to kind of walk up on them. At least some of them, I think, is uh, are, are invisible. And if you don't go to that certain square, you will miss something. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you don't see the chests until you're like right on top of them. So exploration is very important. There is a map that you can access, like in the game, uh, to, to see where you've been and everything, but the, the map doesn't save, but it, that, that, that's okay about that because you're only in dungeons one time. Once you're past a dungeon, you can't go back to it. So it's very, the game's very linear, like in that like in that way of, of, of tunneling you forward from dungeon to town to dungeon to town. So uh, the battles take a little while to get used to, um, but the graphics are pretty good. Uh, they're very detailed. There's not a lot of color depth or anything to them, but there is some very sharp detail with the graphics there's some very fine detail on the cards at, at least the rooks and the other characters are very graphically represented on there so while maybe lacking a graphically intense game the detail and the quality is very high like so what do you think of the graphics um the graphics i thought the cards themselves were absolutely fantastic i thought the animation was great because they had a certain kind of animation when they were attacking but at the same time, it kind of made you want to collect the cards themselves. The uh, the dungeons were absolutely fantastic in the uh, in the exploration and that kind of thing. Um, a lot of them they looked almost exactly the same. I found myself having to switch back and forth to my map a lot because it was very easy to get lost, very easy to get turned around um, because everything kind of looked the same. There weren't a lot in the way of landmarks as far as graphics went, but I feel like they did this on purpose to um, kind of throw in the exploration kind of thing because I can totally see myself as a kid making maps on a notebook. A lot of it is like, I mean, actually making the map and marking where chests were because I don't think the map whenever you found a chest, I don't think the map still showed where the chest was. Unless you were in that exact square, 
you may have missed something. So anyway, I, I think the cars themselves, the battle animations, the the battle part of it, the, the graphics were fantastic. You never see your characters actually actually on the screen like you do in a lot of RPGs. All the battles is done in a first-person perspective uh, with the damage uh, like being reflected uh, by numbers that appear like above their heads. Real we talked about earlier is your key critical character. Again, unlike many other RPGs, there are there are a lot of things that only he can do. Like it makes him very important to keep him alive, like and healthy. Uh, because Rook's the only one who can switch the Omega Spirits. Uh, he's the only one who can flee the battle. He's the only one that like, magic card spells. And if he's taken out, the, the, the entire party's crippled. And it's probably getting over that point. Right. So... Uh, keeping Rooks alive is very, very important. You gain standard amounts of experience points in gold uh, for winning battles in this game, like you do in many RPGs. However, all the level progressions of your characters are fixed. You automatically know uh, all the stats and hit points they gain and whatever are fixed each level. It's not random like it is in some other RPGs. I believe you, I believe you can max out at level 60 in this game. And you don't get a lot of gold. I found gold to be very, very tight uh, during the game. It's always in short supply. And there's always so much stuff that you want to buy in the towns. So you really have to, you really have to be very careful with spending your money. Because for reasons, for reasons we're going to talk about later on, it's not possible to really grind this game for experience or gold. So uh, trying to maximize your resources, maximizing your magic, maximizing your gold, it's all very critical. And again, they, they lead, to that, lead to that high difficulty curve that you have to get used to to really get into the game. Having said that, once you get over these humps, I think it's a very enjoyable the dungeon dungeon crawling RPG that has a lot of charm and a um, unique factors to it to really like appeal to just like appeal to like a very uh, dedicated veteran or hardcore RPG. It was very cool in the fact that a lot of your gold depends more on loot than it does actual uh, gold acquiring the actual currency. You would get a certain amount of daggers or something like that, and you could go back to town and sell them as you go. At first, it kind of drains your gold just trying to stay alive with uh, potions and stuff like that. You can only go so deep into the dungeon before you start basically, oh my gosh, I'm fixing to die, I gotta go. As far as experience, I found it very helpful to hang around in the entrance because you don't see your enemies. The actual battle system is kind of random and incredibly aggressive. If any of you ever ever played Pokemon, think about being in that stupid cave and every five seconds being attacked by a Zubat. Basically it. In this game, it will take you apart if you're not prepared. You can kind of go back and forth and get yourself healed back up and that kind of thing. So, yeah, man, um, until you're to an experience point to where you can hang, uh, getting very deep into dungeons just isn't going to happen. You're going to die. Yeah, I don't recall the encounter rate for this game as being as being crazy high. I, I think it's higher than many other RPGs, but it's not to the point where you're being attacked every like you know two three steps. So I think almost the game seems to me like it almost senses when you're about to die <laughs> <laughs> because like I'll get my my HP really low, and then all of a sudden I'm freaking surrounded. <laughs> hmm. 
So uh, one of the unique factors we talked about earlier with this game that kind of that kind of elevates it above other dungeon crawler games out there is the elemental spirits that sure. Rook can use. So he's so he's the only one who has the ability to be able to call his spirits uh, to aid you in battle. Uh, you have you have Sif the wind spirit, uh, Efrit the fire spirit, Dal the earth spirit, and, and, uh, and Madrid the water spirit. And, and and your spirits gain levels just like you do. So as you go up in levels, they, they gain new magic and new and new attacks uh, that will help you out. So the color of the card is a hint as to what kind of attributes the enemy has. Once you go to the game or simply look up a walkthrough, you can figure out, okay, this enemy is, is blue, so he's vulnerable to water, for example. Figuring out through trial and error as to what what spirits best to use against what enemies and in what dungeons, that's really a key factor for your success in survival in this game and a lot of your allies themselves they have different attributes and that kind of thing that you really have to take uh, into consideration because some of them are way better in like sorcery and can almost do just as much damage as your elementals and that kind of thing but then you have you know you're like your thief type that will strike pretty pretty quickly and then you know you have your well-rounded characters as usual, and that can pretty much do all the above, but not as well as any of the others. Unlike many other RPGs, not only not only is there a very small selection of characters that you can have with your party, but they come and go on a, like on a regular basis. There's only four characters that you actually like, can have during your party, and you have room for two of them like in like one time. Like so, one of the first characters that you can get um, is Tifa. You have her at the start of the game. She's like she's an apprentice, like your friend Ariel. Decent in battle, but a real talent like is in magic. Because of the fact that she can use healing magic, she's very critical to helping you get to helping you survive that first chapter. Because your character is very very weak in level, so you'll be leaning on her a lot, uh, like your healing magic. Um, and it's a very detailed sprite with her. Like it's very nice looking. It's kind of a hearkening back to because Nintendo was originally a playing card company. The representation of the cars themselves were what really kind of drew me in. That and the kind of the gameplay and all that. But I really found myself respecting the attention they put into it. So the second character that you can get in the game is another girl. Uh, like Her name is Aesela, and it's revealed that she's one of the two missing daughters uh, like the king that we talked about before, like in the game story. And I believe he joined you first in chapter two, if I remember correctly. So like so again, uh, like so again, like Tifa, she's a magician. She's a bit more powerful magician than Tifa is. Her specialty is more about attack magics. Can do healing stuff, but she's not as good at it like Tifa is. But by this time in the game, Rooks is more powerful also. Like so having somebody who can do who can dish out attack magic uh, really helps the game because Chapter two, like, where the thing really starts cranking up at difficulty levels. So uh, having her in the party for that chapter, like, is a major asset. I like Tifa quite a bit because she kept me alive a lot. But um, at the same time, she wasn't really all that great in attack magic. So if Rooks didn't take them down or at least take a very large chunk out of them, mm, I don't know. But then when I got Sailor, oh, my gosh, I was I was uh, I was set. <laughs> Yeah. Because all of a sudden, I had more than one character who could help me out. Right. 
So the third character that you get is Darwin, uh, who I believe joined your party first in Chapter 3. He is an elf. Uh, he's a fighter mage. Uh, kind of think like your typical like Lord of the Rings Hobbit-type elf as far as his attacks and abilities go. He's decent at both fighting and magic. Not great either, but he does those things like decently enough. He's also the person who's, who's going to be in your party the most. So hopefully you like him because unlike the other people, party only two chapters of the game. Uh, he's in your party for, for the, actually for three chapters. So you actually, so you actually get to use Darwin quite a bit. I like Darwin. He was, uh, he ended up being one of my favorite characters. Um, I did get pretty invested in him, and I got pretty mad when he left. But um, <laughs> he ended up being one of those. I almost depended on him as much as I did Rooks. Yeah, like I said earlier, you can't really depend upon anybody in this game except for Rooks because people keep coming and going on a regular basis. So, which is which is both interesting and frustrating at the same time because with this game, especially if you're especially first time through, you never know somebody's going to you never know something's going to happen. A plot point will come up or a battle will happen, and somebody leaves your party. So it can leave you in a pretty bad situation sometimes. Like so, it really encourages you to try to put everything under Rook first. And then anything you have left over can go to support people. So yeah, um, I kind of learned my lesson in Final Fantasy, especially Final Fantasy VIII. If you focused on like two or three people, and by the time you got to the really crazy end bosses, like when one of your party dies, another one takes their place. So if you ignore that one in favor of another character. And you make them one of your main characters by the time you're there at the end bosses. If they die, you're dead. Yeah. Because they're going to take out the secondary characters as quickly as possible. So I kind of learned my lesson in that. And I, I try to level them up as equally as possible. Yeah. So, um, But at the same time, as far as just uh, character builds go, I like Darwin the most. Yeah. My favorite support character is the last person, actually, uh, Axe, like you get like in Chapter 4. But he's one of three survivors, the only survivor, actually, uh, like the Knights of Lexford, uh, which Rook's father uh, fuck is a part of. He's your stereotypical uh, tough man warrior type. No magic, but very, very strong attack abilities. By the time you get in the party, you really need that offensive, offensive bite. Very nice to be able to use him as your point man to use physical attacks by enemies, like our Rooks is doing the support magic and the healing and stuff in the, the bite stuff in the back. He was always a welcome addition, uh, addition to me to add in the party because he shows that I think when you most need that strong offensive attack, uh, attack power to help you get through a I really got to where I liked, I loved his talents. I got to the point where I was really depending on Rooks mainly for just keeping my elementals alive. Just because the the sheer damage my elementals could do to other uh, enemies with, um, with weakness to certain, like fire or water or whatever like that. I got to depending more either on Darwin or or Axis or whatever for more of the attack more than anything. Axe could take more uh, a lot more damage than anyone else. He was kind of my tank. I don't really play tanks quite a lot, but <laughs> this game here, it's all about strategy. You have to use strategy the entire game, just as you would any other card game. Because you know how you take like magic or whatever like that, Magic the Gathering, you know, you have to build up your deck. You have to have, like, certain cards. You have to follow up with this and follow up with that. Or you're going to get taken apart by the enemy. 
just like that, this is the way this is. You have to be able to follow up with certain other attacks and that kind of thing. And you can't just get into a point, oh, well, I attack and then I use my elemental and then I use this and this and this. You can't do that. So we've talked a good bit about the strategy and the difficulty of like this game. Uh, you're probably wondering, what makes this game like, so difficult? We've talked a little bit about that before. Um, but we've talked about now about like you know five factors, the factors I think um, and Chad will probably agree with me on this. At least I hope they. At least I hope he agrees with me on this. Um, as what makes this game like so difficult, and some of the things you can try to do to try to minimize some of the, some of some of the difficulty if you come in this game uh, like the first time. The first thing jumps right to mind that makes the game very difficult. There are very easy game overs in this game. If you lose rooks or somebody else like in a battle, uh, just one person going down because of that whole support system, this support system that's entwined, that's entwined like in this game, uh, it is very hard to recover from that if somebody goes down. That means if you're going along a, a dungeon suddenly like run into a bad battle, you can say you can have a real bad day real fast. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, the thing is, this game is basically a game of chess. Like, if you aren't careful and you don't adapt to different strategies and that kind of thing if you lose one of your healers all of a sudden you're dependent on items and when those items are gone you're dead or if you use one of your hitters one of your strikers all of a sudden you're left with a healer and that's it and they're going to take maybe five ten damage a piece and then rooks if he goes down, bye-bye elementals. Every one of these is intertwined. You cannot afford to write off any of them. So you kind of have to put your strategy to where you can keep everyone alive or eventually you're going down. I am a real fan of just strategy anyway. I mean, I love the game of chess. Um, I love just uh, using strategy in itself. I think that's what kind of pulled me in to this game. It was kind of like, oh, I got this down. It was just kind of a button masher. Attack, 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 attack. And I died. So (laughs) it didn't really work out for me. And then all of a sudden I found myself having to uh, change out my strategy and that kind of thing. I don't know. I I guess it's what pulled me in was the, the sheer difficulty and the fact that you just couldn't go in button mashing. The only suggestions I have for trying to minimize this a little bit is, um, you know, is that you need to keep a constant high HP and magic level at all times. In a lot of RPGs, when, when you're in a dungeon, you can just simply let yourself go for four or five battles because it's easy to recover in battle and whatnot. In this game, you really need to keep your HP topped up uh, like almost all times because you never know what you're going like, to run into. And again, this is a game I've, t- I've talked before about the past and in the past about the advantages of playing like a playing by emulation. This game, more than any other game we've covered so far in the podcast, is one I highly endorse playing emulation and just like just abusing the crap out of save states. <laughs> just, Definitely. Just like, Definitely. like every battle, save the game. That way, if something happens, you don't lose too much progress. Um, oh my gosh, yes. Because, I mean, you could just be going along the battles and then you're just cruising and you're just going along and you're getting cocky about it and you're thinking, oh man, I got this. Here's wolf, wolf, slime. Or here's wolf, wolf, Ah, the hell with it, all gonna be wolves. So, <laughs> or slimes, or something like that. 
And then all of a sudden, one of them pulls out a special attack, and it's all over. And it does not pay to get cocky in this game. I swear the game does it on purpose. And that ties in very nicely as a segue to our second difficulty point, the fact that this game gives you very little forewarning as we're coming up against a boss battle. Uh, because in most RPGs, you can tell just from the area around you. From like, items, you the enemies. points, and everything right. else. It's because in most RPGs like this, where you can't see the enemies, you at least have some kind of hint, some kind of foreboding that there's something going to happen pretty soon. It's like you go into like a small room, or there's a choke point in front of you, um, or a save point, or just some kind of there's some kind of hint that you quickly recognize, okay, uh, this is this is a sign that there could be a boss battle coming up. I better make sure I'm ready. This game, though, it's not the dungeons are not set up that way at all. You could be just going along your regular path, just uh, just stepping a tile, boom, boss fight, and you'll be wiped out. A lava monster, right? <laughs> like so, the first time through, without any warning, you can very quickly. And this happened to me a lot playing the game the first time through. You can very easily run into a boss battle, not be prepared. So, yes, this um, really, um, it, it really does pay off. You can definitely see yourself as a kid playing this game, writing out a map on your notebook paper or whatever like that, and just be drawing it. And you almost have to do it grid by grid. You almost have to have grid paper to do it. Because just because there's nothing over here on this square doesn't mean you're not going to have it this, this square over here with a chest full of stuff that you're going to need. Or this square over here, you got a wolf. And this square right here, you got a boss. So um, it's not a certain area so much as you have to be in a certain a square or something like that. It really helps to have that marked to where you're going to come up against. Yeah, and if you don't feel like making maps yourself, there are some there are some detailed dungeon maps available like online and game of the cubes like this game. So oh, um, I highly recommend if not using them right away, at least have them handy in case you run into any difficulties going through the dungeons. So, and then again, that ties into another difficulty point. Like Chad said, all these difficulty points are really kind of connected to like one another. Uh, there is a there is a serious lack of save points like in this game. You cannot save it all in dungeons if you're playing this game like in hardware. The only places you can save uh, like the town. So it can be very frustrating spending uh, 45 minutes an hour going through a dungeon, reaching a boss, not being ready, and then well, tough luck. You have to go all the way back to start like do it all over again. Uh, because it's <laughs> because there's a people make you rage quit like nobody's business. Exactly. So, um, like another factor again, to, again, to tie into what Chad said earlier, this inventory system is almost as bad as Earthbound's inventory system is. It is terrible. You are limited to four two item slots, which in the surface of it sounds okay. It's more than you got like an Earthbound, but unlike many other RPGs, where multiple copies of the same item can stack in one slot. Not in this game. No. You have like, you have like 10 healing potions that take up 10 slots. So it's almost a lot like Legend of Dragoon. Like you have healing potion, healing potion, healing potion, healing potion. And you better save these two slots for your bombs. Hmm. Or, <laughs> you know, you, you can't just like Final Fantasy or something like that. 10 healing potions or like 10 Phoenix Downs or like 10 tents or something like that. No, you better have that planned out. And the last difficulty point, and in my mind, this is this is probably the biggest of difficulty points. Like I said earlier, this game has a very linear flow to it. Uh, you pretty much go from a town and dungeon to so on. Except in this game, unlike many other RPGs, once you finish a dungeon, that's it. So you can't go back to it. So if you missed some chest, if you missed some areas of the dungeon, you're out of luck. 
Uh, and also more to that point, you can't grind in that dungeon again once you get through it. So you can very easily run to another dungeon that you're not prepared for because your levels are not high enough. And trying to advance levels can be very challenging now because you're stuck fighting difficult monsters at this dungeon that you're not quite ready for yet. So It really uh, does help having these save state. You have to have extra save because you just wipe the floor with some of these other enemies doesn't mean that you should have been five, six levels ahead of them for the next dungeon. For the very least, if you, if you, if you don't feel like cheating and want to play some hardware, uh, having maps handy is very critical to this game to make sure you don't miss any items because items because because some of the dungeons some of the dungeons are very sprawling. But if you take the time to, to poke around, and explore, you can get some very good loot. Problem is that you're doing a lot of fighting, a lot of effort to get to that loot. So there's definitely a risk reward thing on here. But take it from me, it is worth taking the time and the effort to go through the dungeons and explore every bit of it before you go to the end. I remember being a kid. You know how, like, every RPG there ever was, there would be a strategy guide or at least a mm -hmm. Nintendo Power or something like that? Not for this game. Not for this game. I remember when I picked it up and I started playing it, and I was like, oh, I bet it would be really cool if I had the Nintendo Power to this because I am really getting to be a fan. Nope. Nope, not happening. All you have now are facts. That's it. It just seems like, I don't know, As I guess this, this game was so obscure for some reason that they just didn't see a point in printing anything for it. Well, there were a lot of good RPGs that came out that came out in the same year. Like in Lagoon and some other RPGs came out this year also. So uh, there were just a lot of more easily accessible RPGs that came out this year, which I think is why it just kind of sifted the cracks. But by now you're probably wondering, and you would have the right to be wondering, uh, considering, considering the difficulty of your RPG, what makes it worth playing? Why is it fun? Well, I think there's three things that come to mind with me that make this game worth like worth playing, even enjoy a challenging RPG. Uh, one of them is the gameplay. The gameplay is very fun. It's very frantic and an uncertainness as you go through dungeons, fighting these fighting these huge monster parties and trying to keep your resources and resources and levels up. Um, as Chad mentioned, it's straight strategy. If you enjoy having to put a lot of effort and thought into your party and doing strategy and exploring, this game really does all that stuff very well. Uh, it really makes just a very fun gameplay. It makes the game like worth, like worth rewarding, like we're going to play, I think. Uh, another thing I think that elevates this game is the cards are a very unique gimmick to this game. Uh, it's very fun to watch the cards take damage during battle and like rip apart like when somebody, somebody dies. And having your own spirits and all, and all the enemies and characters look like cards. They really carry it to the logical extreme that you would expect. It kind of reminds me almost like a Paper Mario. She's kind of the same way like in this game. Everything's represented by cards. Like, so being a card master is not just simply a title. They really do put the effort into making everything cards, and it really makes for some very, like, you know, a very, a very interesting gimmick. The last thing I think is excellent about this game that we have talked about yet, the music. The soundtrack of this game is excellent. Yes. Um, the battle music is very good. The boss theme is great. The town music's catchy. There's some very good music to this game. The very least, even if you don't like RPGs, I highly recommend checking out the soundtrack uh, on YouTube. The soundtrack is good enough to keep coming back for more, even if the gameplay is very, very punishing. Yes. I think this thing would really attract the hardcore RPGers just for that reason. Just for the fact that, you know how a lot of the hardcore RPGers or whatever like that are griping? Because every little thing on like Skyrim or Oblivion or something like that has a map marker. 
or everything has everything is just drawn out for you or whatever like that that's not the case with this if if you liked dragon warrior at all or anything like that this is very cool in in that area just because of how you have to search through things like grid for grid this game does not hold your hand at all it is up to you whether or not you survive how much you learn from the other battle i guess it really depends on you. It's okay if you get mad as long as you come back. I think this game really depends on you learning from your mistakes. I think they expect for you to take grid paper and draw your own map. I think this game takes it for granted that if you have picked this game up and you're still playing it within 20-30 minutes, that you're there to stay and you're they're obviously going to test your intelligence and will to survive. Mm. Which I think this game does it on purpose because if you're going to be a card master in like Magic Players or or, uh, any other card game, I can see where they did it because every single card seems like it's hand-drawn. Every single one has that kind of um, detail given to it. Like it's not just the outline of a wolf. No, you you have your, your down to the fur, down to the shadow of the fur that they have drawn on it. And then the lava monster is like incredibly drawn. Your allies' characters are drawn to where you actually care whether what happens to them. Um, your elementals are fantastic. Just everything about the cards that I guess I respect quite a bit. And the fact that this game doesn't insult my intelligence, but rather depends on it. I think it encourages you to be able to problem solve and work through the strategy Rather than just say, okay, just attack, hit them with your magic, and be done with it. No, it doesn't do that. It's going to assume that if you're still playing by 20, 30 minutes, you are an intelligent person who is going to be more in tune with problem-solving strategy, that you're a fan of chess-like games. And I don't know, to me, that's, um, I, I don't guess flattering is the word so much as um, just comforting that, that they assume that you're going to be able to do all that. Yeah, that's a very good summary. Uh, uh, I'm a big RPG fan. I've played a lot of RPGs over the years, starting initially with like, with like the Ultima games on the Commodore 64 back in the mid-80s, and going on to Final Fantasy Dragon Warrior, uh, all the way up to like, the current RPG stuff. And uh, I think... I think I can honestly say that this game is probably one of the three most difficult RPGs I've ever played before in my life. The only game that comes to mind that might be right up there of challenging, and I'm not sure if like you played this one, Chad, uh, also for the Super NES, I think this game may be a little bit easier than Stem Saga, because Stem Saga is another very, very difficult RPG. No, I have never played that. I'm going yeah. to have to get a hold of that. Yeah, I mean, like for me, it's neck to neck as which one of these two games is tougher really are really slugfests so but it's a fun slugfest I, I mean like you um you like we were saying like if you enjoy rpgs if you, if you do consider yourself to be a veteran rpg or if you like, like dungeon crawlers this is, this is definitely a game that's worth like checking out so the good news is that if you want to get this game it's not that expensive because like i said it's not a very popular game it didn't get a lot of notice i found in a recent ebay search 40 copies of the game that recently sold and uh the prices are pretty pretty cheap as far as super NES stuff right now goes i saw i saw a loose 
copy go for as cheap as two dollars and thirty four cents, which is not outrageous. It's like a four dollar shipping charge, so something like that. So right, uh, from that price all the way up to like thirty bucks. And if you want a CIA copies ranging from thirty nine to eighty dollars. Very cheap if you want in cart. Not that more expensive. Like you want to get it, you know, complete. We'll get a copy of, like relatively cheap out there if you want to find it. I know this game was not that popular when it was a popular chat. Uh, so like, did we get any kind of feedback for it? Like as far as the game, we got like, like four comments. comments. <laughs> We got like well, four comments. Not many people played this game because it wasn't very popular, like we said. Well, here's the comments we did get. All right. Philip Vaughn says, isn't this Chad's favorite game on the SNES? One of. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely one of. Paul Stevenson says, slightly obscure RPG. I remember playing this as a rental when my friend and I swapped systems for a few weeks. The game representing each character as cards was a little strange to me, and the gameplay was a bit choppy that I remembered as well. I was expecting a Shining in the Darkness dungeon crawler, and it does share similarities to it. The game would be at the bottom of my SNES RPG games for sure. <laughs> I recommend you go back and check it out, man. Should, yeah, definitely. Yeah, Shining in the Darkness like, is a good example to compare to, because I, think, because I think this game is very similar to that game like, in a lot of ways. Oh, definitely, yeah. Yeah. Um, Michael Kelso says, hmm, never played it. I've never really been a fan of those old school first person RPGs, though. Oh, that doesn't qualify as a comment. I mean, come on, he hasn't played the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's cheap. But anyway, that's all I have. But uh, let me finish off with two codes for this game that I found that I found on Game FAQs. And I wish I'd known these codes back then because both these codes are very, very handy. You have a sound test code that you can use to access the music and the music in the game. Because like I said, both Chad and I really love the music to music of this game. Um, the tower screen to access the sound test hold L and R and B at the same time. The other code which will help you to get ahead in the game, uh, because we didn't mention this, the game does have a battery pack. So you can save, is it two games? I think Chatter is just one. Them to, to... I think it's two, but I'm not sure. But two, you okay. will be using both of them. Right. Um, there is a stage select in the game. So if you want to hop ahead of the game, give this code dump you off with the character you're supposed to have at the beginning of that chapter with some recommended uh, experience levels and items. It may not be as good as it would be if you had gotten that point naturally, but trying out the code real quickly, it seems like it's good enough to be able to get you through the game. Um, so to access stage select, the tower screen, you want to push down, select, select, X, Y, select, select, L, R, select, select, left, right, up, and then for the, like, and then one last button to determine your stage. A for stage two, B for stage three, X for stage four, and Y for stage five. I, I, I didn't even know the codes existed. Does it automatically transport you to a certain level with certain items with certain weapons? Or does it just yes. put you there? No, like I said before, uh, I tried the code briefly. It dumps you off at the beginning. Of the, it dumps you out at the beginning of that chapter with some with some minimum but playable levels and levels and items. You probably just spend a little a little bit more time grinding with a useful than you might do otherwise. But it's a great way to skip ahead in the game it, if, you, if you want to, like for whatever reason. Maybe it just throw you some complete bull crap and you're like, oh, forget this. I'm going to go to the next level. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway. Uh, so in summary, uh, like I said, this is a definitely obscure, 
but a very challenging and for, and for me at least uh, like a very fun RPG. It's probably middle of the road for me. I like it. I think there are I think there's RPGs out there that are better just because the insane difficulty level of this game can really can really wear on you. So I really recommend playing with an emulator in safe states to give this game a shot at first. But like Chad said, there's a lot of unique gameplay aspects to it. It's very uh, um and you and you feel when you finally beat the game. It's not much of an ending, but you feel damn good for having seen it because yes. because, it, because it really rewards you for having put in the patience and the time and the effort to hack through this game. It really does give you a great feeling whenever you beat that dungeon because you feel like you just beat a worthy opponent in chess or any other strategy game. So um, it does give you a really great sense of accomplishment whenever you get that done. Don't look for it on the wall. Don't look for it in the glass case because it's not going to be there. It's going to be in the common area because apparently not a lot of people know about nor care about this <laughs> game. But definitely for the price of it, please check it out because it's going to be on par with a lot of the higher end or definitely for our next podcast uh we are going from an obscure game to a very very popular game again um, we're going to be joined by a very special guest host to talk about one of his favorite games absolutely just because this guy is a friend of mine rob uh, mccallum he is an awesome awesome guy he is the director for the Nintendo Quest, formerly the Nintendo Club, he and Jay Bartlett just did a movie, which there is currently a Kickstarter for. So if you can, head on over and check out that Kickstarter. If they get 25000 on Kickstarter, they will literally come up with a homebrew game of the movie. So a homebrew NES game. As it is, uh, you do get a soundtrack and other stuff. But uh, Rob McCallum, I respect him so much as a person and a member of the community. So please just check him out. He uh, has a podcast called GamerCast where he, Jay Bartlett, and Glenn Stanway kind of take on topics that would otherwise see the internet go down in flames so (laughs) (laughs) from uh topics uh ranging from anywhere to physical copy or digital copy and just other stuff like that yeah so we're very very glad to have like to have rob uh uh, like on the podcast uh, next episode, uh, he approached me about a month ago, uh, expressing interest to like be on, which is a real honor for this relatively new podcast to have somebody to have somebody of a statue. I mean, we've really been lucky. I'm sure Chad will agree with me on this. We've really been fortunate with the quality guest hosts that we've that we've had been, that we've been able to get, to get on the the podcast so far, whether through begging or bribing or pleading or any other kind of out there to get them on the podcast. So um, absolutely, y'all don't want to know what I've had to go through. Yeah. <laughs> people to come on so <laughs> so we're like so we're gonna be talking about one of rob's favorite super nes games and a real classic sim city it's an excellent port uh like that classic computer game with the super nes chad do you have a lot of experience with sim city uh only uh, about 300 hours <laughs> uh, i probably have a, yeah i probably have about like five, a thousand hours probably, probably, probably putting oh no game. i've got a like, lot was, more than that I remember just building cities so so I could watch yeah. uh, Bowser stomp through it. 
<laughs> yeah. So we're, so, so we're going to be talking about the unique differences, the differences with the Super NES port of this game and what makes the game so great and the, and the very story franchise and a little bit about the, the famous creator Will Wright and that kind of stuff. So uh, tune in for next week's podcast. It should be a great one. Um, you can find us on the, 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 the regular places. We have a, we have a Facebook page. Uh, we are a proud member of the Rick Junkies Network. You can email me directly at the Super NES podcast at yahoo.com. You can check us out on iTunes and Stitcher. And uh, we, when we welcome feedback about this or any other, or any other game that we've talked about so far, uh, we also welcome feedback for games you want to have your, for games you're interested in us covering. Uh, we are looking to cover in a, in a week or two uh, a game that a guest, um, a guest listener suggested to us to cover. And we also are hoping to get another very popular podcasting guest host on here in a couple of weeks to talk about one of his favorite games. So stay tuned. We have a lot of great episodes coming up pretty soon. Oh, absolutely. We've got a lot of stuff to go through. So anyway, I uh, just want to say thank you guys for listening. I'm going to leave you with this. I got Axley. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a great shooter. Talking to you, that's one that doesn't come up very often either. Oh, man, I am so excited. It's not a very expensive game, but it's not very common around here. So I am very excited to get a hold of it. So uh, thank you again for tuning in to us. Uh, Chad, it was great doing the podcast with you again to talk about one of your favorite games. We will, you will return the favor to me later on in about a month or so to talk about another one of my favorite games in the system. So, oh, absolutely. Uh, Anytime. I appreciate you indulging <laughs> me. <laughs> No problem at all, because hey, because like I said, you know, I like the game too. So, uh, uh, so I'm trying to cover a wide, a wide range of a wide, a wide range of games. It was, it was about time we got to doing an RPG anyway. So, all right, but, absolutely. Um, <laughs> all right, uh, thank you very much again, uh, and hope everybody stays safe, uh, stay warm, stay out of the snow. If you're in the south, I have pity on those of us like we're in the north. So, um, oh man, you <laughs> poor, poor bastards. All right, keep uh, going. Okay, have a good night all. Take care. Bye-bye. Nintendo controls 80% of the video market. But no matter how you play the game or which game you play, things definitely have come a long way since Pac-Man. Now you're playing with power. Deep Pong Power.